First of all, we're going to start off today by thanking the sponsors today. I want to thank um, Mr. Bert Wexelbaum, who is sponsoring for his father's yard site, which will be this coming Shabbos, Sechover Yehuda Ben Meir, Sherissa um, Platoko, who, uh, whose memory continues to be a blessing through the multiple generations that we have in our shul. Also, um, we are learning today Le'ilu Nishmas, um, Avrami and Tzvi Rubin's um, father, Olav Hashalom, whose yard site is Boy Bayom today, whose name is Yehuda Aryeh ben Avraham, um, whose, uh, whose yard site is today as well, Mr. Shem Shabili Ilunish Masai. And also, we want to thank um, Reb Anshel Weiss, who is sponsoring Lilunish Masai's father's yard site this Tuesday, Chaim ben Asher Anshel. Um, Olav Hashalom, and at that time as well, get an opportunity to actually wish a special Mazel Tov in person to Reb Anshul, whose wedding was uh, was last week. I think that that if a per- if you come in with within a, within a week of a wedding, I think that it deserves a special Mazel Tov. So we're gonna just a quick one is See you in so thank you, thank you for sharing the simcha, thank you for sharing this moment. We are going to be learning this morning, we're going to be meeting this morning, a fascinating figure, a fascinating personality, whose name is the Rashbam. The Rashbam is one of the more enigmatic figures in the Chumash, and we're going to have the opportunity of learning a little bit about him today, and to understand what he does do, what he does not do. The Rashbam, as I, I actually put in the biography over here, was um, one of, just to put it this way, Rashi had three daughters. And so... But each of those daughters married a very interesting individual, and one of her daughters, one of the daughters, Yocheved, had four sons, four very important sons. One of those names was Rabbi Yitzhak, who, no, sorry, Rabbeinu Shmuel, the Rashbam, Rabbeinu Yaakov, Rabbeinu Tam, among the two more of the more famous of the brothers. Rabbeinu Tam was a, was a leader of the generation, a great halachicist. He was one of the founders of the Balei HaToysos, the Toysos Academy. Um, and the Rashbam was no less part of that. So we're talking about the grandson of Rashi, no less. And uh, as is practice in, the, in France or in the Ashkenazi areas, the Pirushim at this point in time did not offer introductions to their texts, as opposed to the Chachmei Sfarad, as the Sfaradi um, re- writers. So, uh, for instance, we have spent time learning the introduction of the Rambam, the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra beforehand, and each of those are Chachme Svarad. They are Svardic or, or Spanish leaders or writers. When it comes to Chachme Tsarfas, France, we have very little about introductions. They actually get straight down to business, which is why there's no introduction of Rashi to the Torah. There's no introduction of the Rashbam to the Torah. But what we are able to do is we're able to take snippets of, we'll call them micro introductions. So where they introduce sections in the Torah, and it helps us understand what they're trying to do. Because it's much easier to hear what they say they're trying to do, 
then rather induce from a number of their different commentaries as to what the rule is. That's, that, that's what we're trying to do. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to take a look at some of the micro-introductions of this Rashbam. And what I'd like to do is, is bear in mind our conversation last week. Last week we spent a little bit of time learning about the Ibn Ezra. And the Ibn Ezra presented five different approaches to learning Torah, of four of which he rejected, three and a half he rejected. And the fifth one was the one that he adopted himself. There are, there are, Ibn Ezra has incredible respect for Chazal in the Halachic realm. And in the world of Agaritza, in the world of philosophy, he sometimes would beg to differ if it's not, if it is not a Kabbalah, if it's not a Misara. In such a case, we look at the Rashbam and put these things into perspective. Here's what the Rashbam says. So interestingly enough, one of the places where he explains what he is doing, his modus operandi, is at the beginning of Parshas Vayeshev. And here's what he says. So I, I placed the, this micro-introduction on the first page, and you can also find the translation below it. Here's what he says. Ele toldois Yaakov. He's talking about the generations of Yaakov. This is the important transition point where Yaakov becomes less of the player, and his children start, becomes the parasha of the Shvatim, Yosef, Yehuda. And here's what he says. Yaskilu v'yovinu v'yavei seichel mashilimdunu raboiseinu. He says, those who are willing to be thinkers, to be intellectual individuals, should understand what our teachers taught us. That a verse can never leave its pshutai. Can never leave its, what's the word, how would you say pshutai means? Literal, it's basic understanding. Does that mean to say, by the way, just at this point in time, we have to ask ourselves at this point, does that mean to say that anything which is beyond the literal is non-existent? Or, or is he saying that you can never deny the fact that there is also a pshutai? Okay, just to, just to understand this. Af ki ikoroi shel Torah ba lelamdenu ulahodienu beremizas habshat vahagados vahalachos vadinim vayadei arichus aloshon vayadei shloishim v'shtayim midos shal Rabbi Yezer benoi shal Rabbi Yosi Aglili vayadei shalosh esrei midos shal Rabbi Shmuel. He says, even though the main point of the Torah is to tell us the derivations, how do we know the derivations? He says, well, there's 32 tools of Rabbi Eliezer and the 13 tools of Rabbi Yishmael. What are these tools? What, are they, what, what exactly is, is he referring to? So we say every morning, if you look in the davening, just before we say, Mizmor Shir before we start, we talk about that Rabbi Yishmael had 13 midois, had 13 attributes, so to speak, or really tools to derive the Torah. Kal v'chomer, a logical build-up, a gzeira shava, when you have two words which are similar, which therefore tell us that the two parashiyos are linked as a sort of a hyperlink between the two parashiyos in terms of logic, a word or concept bridge. There's, an, there's a binyan av, there's a klal prat, klal prat klal, there's a binyan av, there's a number of different words or ideas which Chazal used to derive from a limited amount of words or ideas, a unlimited amount of rules. That's essentially what Chazal were doing. We talked about this when we learned the introduction to the Rambam's Yad HaChazaka, the Rambam's introduction to the Yad. This is one of the three subcategories of Torah Shabbat Peh, just to put this back into, our, into the recesses of our mind. Not all of Torah Shabbat Peh is this. Some of it is simply transmitting a Masoro, some of it is making a Gzeira or a new fence. What, the other subsection is is derivation, expanding, unpacking. So examples of this, just as an example, is the fact that we have to eat in the sukkah 
despite the fact that it's raining on the first night of Sukkot, a kazayas, or really a kabetza of, 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 of bread. And the reason is, is because we learn that, tesvav, tesvav, the fact that the first night of Sukkot is directly parallel through a gazera shava to a hekaj to, to, to the first night of Pesach. So, therefore, we learn halachas from that. Did the Torah say that explicitly? No. But the Torah gave us, or gave Chazal, let's be more specific, the opportunity and the responsibility of deriving, of darushaning out certain ideas. And that, therefore, he says, that's the main point of the Torah, is arriving at those halachic conclusions. However, he says, Vaharishonim, and the earlier speakers or sages, Mitoich chasirusom, through their piety, they spend more time involved in the drashos, which means the expounding, the, 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 the expanding of the text through drasha. And therefore they left little time to actually try to understand the text on its own grounds. There's a, lot, there's a notion, whatever this means, is that you, the, there's, there's different levels of interpretation of what this means. But you should not spend too much time in Higayon. What do we translate the word Higayon to mean today? Logic. Logic. Right, so don't spend too much time philosophizing. Right, philosophy doesn't always end up, you know, you're sitting there, sitting there on, on the philosopher's stone, trying to work out what's, what exactly is going on. It doesn't always end up in the, you know, with productive results. So the, the Chazal says, you know, be practical, don't spend too much time. The Gemara itself says that when a person spends a lot of time just on Psukim, it's beneficial, but it can also not be beneficial. But if you spend time on the Talmud, it's always beneficial. The Talmud is a, has, a, has a later perspective, has a more holistic perspective, so it's going to usually give us the correct interpretation of the Psukim that we might have been arriving at wrong conclusions with if we just spent time on the Psukim itself. He says, Therefore, educationally, we never spend so much time thinking about what the Pesukim are telling us on their own grounds. The Gemara says that there was a discussion which was had, and for 18 years, they spent time analyzing it. They learned the entire the, um, Talmud. By the way, it seems like the Daf Yomi track then was a little longer, right? <laughs> Just, just, just noticing. Maybe MetLife Stadium wasn't available for renters. Offer, I don't know. Anyways, but nonetheless, okay. So, right. So, this was the, this was the days where they really, you know, says and we didn't fully understand or grasp and mikro And the Gemara says that really, in the end, we came to the conclusion that you'd never really lose. You never really lose the pshuta shal mikro. The verse itself maintains some level of its own meaning. The guy, so, now that, that, so therefore, just in terms of the setup over here, what is the main point? The main point is? Don't neglect. The, the main point of, of learning is really the, which one? Drasha or Pshutai? He says the main point is Drasha. But it happens to be that that eclipsed the learning of Pshutai, which got ignored. Therefore, he says, I'm trying to say, I'm going to spend a little time doing just dealing with the Pshutra, even though I, I respect and tell you that the Drosha itself is really the main point, and that's why we spend so much time on it. Okay, just to put it in terms of the hierarchy here in his understanding. And then he says the following, Va'af ani Shmuel bar Rebbe Meir, chos noizal, and even I, I'm sorry, I apologize, I skipped a sentence. The gam, third line from the bottom of the first column, 
וגם רבנו שלמה אבי אמי. רבנו שלמה, who's רבנו שלמה? רש"י. The father of my mother. מאיר עיני גואלה, the one who enlightened the eyes of the diaspora. שפירש תורה נביאים וכסובים. And he spent a lot of time invested in teaching the, the Nevi'im and Ksuvim. He tried many times to explain the Pshutoi Shel Mikra. By the way, you'll see this in Rashi, where Rashi, as well as quoting Medrashim, will talk about the notion of Davor Davur al Ofanav. Rashi tries to understand what the text is really getting at. He says, I, his, gra- his grandson, the son of his son-in-law, Meir, um, I argued with him, and he agreed to me, if he had more time, he would agree to adopt newer interpretations of the text, according to the renewed or the renewing which arrives on a daily basis. And now I'm going to introduce the section and we're going to start Pashas Vayesha, says the Rashbam. So fascinating. Over here, the Rashbam is, has done something which really, to be honest, hasn't been done so explicitly before. And that is, is that he, in full deference and respect to Chazal, he says that that is the real deal. But we've neglected understanding the Shuto Shalmikra itself. And that means to say, what he's about to do is he says, I'm going to try to, in a certain sense, stand in a vacuum, in a bubble, and look at the Pshuto Shalmikra, the, the verse. What is it telling me on its own legs? What is it telling me on its own ground? Now we could ask ourselves some very interesting questions. If this is true, so what would happen in the, in the circumstances that the Ibn Ezra confronted? So, for instance, what happens... When, let's say, the ideas that you are now looking at just on the text itself, without Midrashic, without Talmudic background, then in this case, what happens if they contradict that? What happens if they are different to what Chazal rendered? What's the Rashbam going to do in this case? How does he live with that? That's what we're going to have to ask ourselves and explore a few examples as well. Um, it is also worthwhile noticing um, in the Rashbam, I just lost my train of thought for a second, um, Okay, okay, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that point when, when it comes back. So this, this is the starting point of, 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 our, of the Rashban. Let's try to see some examples in action of, of where this works and how this works exactly. We're going to see that he's going to be actually dramatically different to his grandfather. And he's going to also be dramatically different to people, to, to the Ibn Ezra himself, who people often put him and the Ibn Ezra in the same, in the same space. So here's an example. So... What is fascinating is, actually, let's, let's do a quick, a quick contrast just between him and his grandfather very briefly, between Rashi and the Rashbam. He has one very classic example on the bottom of page two. The Rashi and the Rashbam. So we told the following. On day four of creation, 16 Psukim into Torah, the Torah tells us, Vayas Elohim, Hashem created us, Shnei Hama'orois Hagadolim, Es Hama'or Hagadol Lememsheles Hayom, Es Hama'or Hakoton Lememsheles Halayla Ve'es HaKochavim. So we're told that we, Hashem created these luminaries, and there's one in the night and one in the morning. There is a glaring problem in this Pasuk, and that problem is... So the problem is like this, is that 
In the beginning of the Pasuk it says we have two great luminaries, two large luminaries. At the end of the Pasuk it says that one of them is big and one of them is small. So we obviously, re- reaching back into the recesses of our, of, our, of our school education, all the way back down to the age of three, we all are aware of the fact, as Rashi tells us, <laughs> quoting the Midrash, Rashi tells us, this is actually Gomor in Chulin, Dav Samachum Beis, which says, Hamores HaGadalim, Shavim Nivru'u, they were created equal, V'nismato Halavona, Al Shekitru Gavu Amra, Shar, Lishnei Melochim, Sheyishtamshu Bekeser Echad. They were in fact big at the beginning together. The moon said, how could it be that there are two great, two kings using one crown? Hashem says, good, jo- good, good point, you, you um, limit yourself, what, which is fascinating. So, which, which means to say, according to Rashi, that the description of this Pasuk is in a, in a certain sense a sequential story. was the beginning of the story, but in between the conversation happened. And therefore, the end of the story was, That's what happened afterwards. That's the way Rashi is looking at it. Now, is that what, is, is, is Chazal telling us something which actually occurred? Is it a metaphor? It's hard to understand this. Says the Rashbam, we need to look at this devoid of any other interpretation or derivation. How would we look at this? And he says very simply, just take a quick look at this. He says on the bottom of page 3, Oh, I'm oh, sorry, this is the, that's the continuation of Rashi. In source 4, Hakoton, Mishnei Hama'oroi Sagdolim. The smaller of the two. So what's he saying? They were both big. But of the two big ones, one was smaller, which means, when I look up at the night sky, right? So I see lots of, in, in New York, all I see is airplanes, right? But okay. But so, so we just spent the summer in, 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 in Wyoming. When you look up at it, you actually really see stars. You don't need to see stars. You see stardust. You see the Milky Way. It's pretty remarkable. You can actually understand when, when it talks about, you know, the, the Zodiac in, in the Gomorrah. You can actually see where they are and the belt which they travel along. It's quite amazing to understand what's going on. Nonetheless, so you look up at the sky and you see all these dots. And they're all small dots. It's not small because they're small. It's just because they're really, really far away. Right? But they happen to be, when you look up at the sky, they happen to be two very big ones. Right, there's the moon at night and there's the sun of the day. They're really big. But, <laughs> the stronger, more powerful of those two was the sun. That's what Rashbam says. So you see what he's doing over here? He's, he's like, based on my experience, so to speak, or based on what seems natural, based on what the psukim seem to be saying, I can interpret this as being what the psukim was saying on those basic level. Is he denying the veracity of either this narrative or metaphor of Chazal. No, he's, not, he's just not talking about that. He's just not addressing that. Does he know the Gemara in Chulin? The answer is, yes, he does know the Gemara in Chulin. Of course he does. And as Dr. Huberfeld just pointed out a moment ago, is this fascinating? The Rashbam is a, commenta- a commentator on the Gemara itself. In fact, when you open up the areas in the Gemara where Rashi was not able to finish writing, you have, in fact, the Rashbam. So, you know, they say, where did Rashi, where, sorry, when did Rashi die? They always say, so Rashi died, they said, at the end of Makos, a few Psaki broke him into Baal Basra, and at the end of Psachim, that's, that's when Rashi died. Right, so how do you know that? Because the Rivan picks up in Makos, and the Rashbam picks up in, in, in Baal Basra and in Psachim. Which is why you read Arve Psachim, you're reading the Rashbam. And when you're reading most of Baal Basra, it's the Rashbam. And a little secret, even though he's shorter than Rashi on the Torah, he's much longer on, than Rashi on the Gomorrah. Which is why Baba Basra is extremely long because on the page the Rashbam is a much longer pirush than Rashi. So did the Rashbam know the Gemara? Absolutely. He's one part of the Tosis Academy, right? Tosis is on every single page, right? So he, he gets that. 
But that's not his point now. He's just saying, let me understand the Pasuk based on what the Pshuta Shomikra is. Just understand, understanding the, the hierarchy of this. Now, the question becomes is, so what about Halacha and Pshat? So what happens when you have um, a difference between Halacha and Pshat? Now, this is interesting because, let's go back to the Ibn Ezra for a second. When the Ibn Ezra says, I would like to tell you something which logic would dictate, and it goes in the face of Halacha, what would the Ibn Ezra say to us? I will always back down. Says the Ibn Ezra, I'll always back down. Chazal's halacha is immutable. That's the, what the Ibn Ezra has said. However, let's take a look at the Rashbam. He does, he does it a little differently. Here's how he works. Let's look back at source one. This is the introduction to Parshish Mishpatim. Not so much story in Parshish Mishpatim. Right? Remember, the Torah is always divided into two basic categories. There's narrative and there's commandments. Right? This is the storyline. Most of Bereshish is the storyline. Most of Ayikra is mitzvahs, as an example. And then you know, it's worthwhile looking at these two different things, uh, two different sections, and how they interplay with each other. How the mitzvahs are related to the story. But no slavkad, we have the story and we have the commandment. How do the two co- are, are cohesive with one another? Parshas Mishpatim is mostly mitzvahs. At the end, there's a narrative, which is the end of the Sinai experience of Perakhov Dalit. But nonetheless, most of it is mitzvahs. So here's what he says in his beginning, to the, so to speak, all these dinim. And per- perhaps one of the earliest parts in the Torah where we have a whole area of dinim, of halachas. So here's what he says in, Pasa, in source 1. Those who understand the knowledge, again, the word seichel is very important to him. Those who are willing to think, he says. I'm not here to explain halachas. I'm not here to explain the, with precise nature as the Gemara in Baba Kama is about to darshan about a short time paying chatzinezek and whether that is a knas or, right, and I'm not going into that, Sugya. Even though that really is the main point, as I explained in Bereshis, we just saw that. He says, you're going to get all of that from Rashi. And that, by the way, is why, if you want to do a quick Chazora of Baba Kama, Read Rashi and Parshas Mishpatim, and he'll give you, and it's fascinating once you've learned Baba Kama, to see, oh, Rashi's passing on Rabbi Shmuel in this Pasuk. Oh, that is so interesting. Rabbi Kiva in this case, right? Because Rashi is actually summarizing the Gemaras. I simply came to explain what the Pasukim mean on their own grounds. And I'll explain the way the Torah explains these dinim. According to Derek Eretz, that's a fascinating word, which is you're going to use a number of times. What do we usually translate the word Derek Eretz as meaning? So it literally means the law of the land, and it can mean it's used in different ways. So sometimes it means to say, let's say, the Gemara would use it as like going and being involved in the world, having a parnasa, Derek Eretz, as an oil. You know, um, well, that's one way. Another way is, is an idea to, it's you sometimes used to describe having good middos, having the way, a, a way of the world. It's interesting the way he explains it, just here, yeah, just as a quick side note. The way he explains it is that it sometimes means also the historical culture of the time. Sometimes the Rashbam refers to this. Um, so as an example, just, just one example of where the Rashbam would use this, is where Yaakov says to Lavon, he says, you know, all this time that I was a shepherd of your flocks, I never ate anything, right? I never, I never ate any of your flocks. Like, shkoyach. Great. <laughs> right? Isn't that, that's, that's, that's you know, you, you shouldn't be stealing. Right, so this is the, this is Rashbam. No, no, the Derek Eretz in that time was that the, the, the shepherds had the right to eat. So what Yaakov Vinu is saying is, I didn't, I didn't partake of even the cultural norm was such. I wasn't involved in that. 
So he says, I'm going to explain it based on what I think was going on as well. That's what the Rashbam is going to say. He says, nonetheless, the last sentence here, The halacha will uproot the Mishnah. Does it mean to say the Mishnah doesn't exist? No, of course it exists. The discussion is worth having the discussion, but ultimately it will come down to halacha. Now, so part of the reason why he says this at the beginning of Parshish Nishvatim is because there are going to be a numerous, uh, there are numerous examples of when he will now say something which flies in the face of halacha. Let's say I take a quick example. We looked at this example last week with him in Ezra's eyes, and we'll see it's a little different in the way he looks at it. As an example, source 5. There's a slave. He really loves a Jewish slave, a Jewish bondsman. He really loves his master. He says, I have to I don't want to go free. I'd love to stay here. And in response to this, in Pasuk, um, it says, um, He takes him to the court. He'll bring him to the doorpost. And he will awl him to the doorpost. He will make a hole in his ear. And he will serve him forever. Says the Rashbam. That means forever. Whoa, wait a second. The Gemara darshans that based on another Pasuk in Tvarim, that they actually must mean until the Yovel year. And what did the Ibn Ezra do? The Ibn Ezra was a little contrived, but he said, no, I can tell you the word Lola means time. And the longest unit of time in the Jewish calendar is ultimately 50 years. So the Ibn Ezra, so to speak, circumscribed himself to, to the Halakha. Says Rashbam, I'm not curtailed by that because I've already told you that the Halakha is the main point. I'm simply saying, can we have the intellectual space to have a conversation on Pshuta Shal Mikra independent of the Halakha, even though I'm going to still keep the Halakha? That for some people is very hard to do. Right? A lot of people have a problem with this, you know. In the old days, you, know, you used to go to these, these TV, you go to, these, to the, 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 you know, the, the, the shop and they have like multiple TV screens and they're always showing different like channels on them, right? Different, different channels in the same, so the Rashford says, can we, are we, do we ha- are able to have the different bandwidth where we can see different levels? If I'm living on the level of Shatoy, I can understand it on its own grounds. And then I go to Halacha and I understand it on its own grounds. And I can, I can live with the coexistence of those two maybe not being necessarily the same, says the Rashford. Ibn Ezra doesn't live in that world. He can't live in that world. It's too dangerous to live in, so you can understand why people would misunderstand this. Let's say you did not read the Rashbam's introduction to Parshas Vayeshev or Parshas Mishpatim. You just want to pick and choose, which, you know, we have many, many wonderful people today who love to pick and choose things, right? So word search, you know, uh, you know uh, Rashbam disagrees with, with, you know, Halakha. Ah, I got it. And now I can make an entire, you know, thesis. I'll publish my PhD on the fact that the Rashbam is, a, is an anti-halachic authority. <laughs> well, you need to see, you need to understand in context. This is, this is, this is an example. Another example. Tfilin, source 7. The end of Parashas, Parashas Boy. The Torah tells us, It should be an, a sign in your hand and a remembrance between your eyes to remember that the Torah of Hashem should be in your mouth. Okay, by the way, that pasuk is replete with halachic detail. Right, the, the, the Torah Hashem B'fichah means to say that it has to be something which is edible, which is why the Tefillin are made from all animal substances, from a, holy, from a kosher animal. Very fascinating discussion. The Rosh Bama says in Source 8, according to the depth of the Pshat, which is a beautiful, that's a beautiful way of describing it, is, he says, it's as if it was written on your hands. 
You'll place it as a, a sign or a, 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 on your hands. And, and this, is the, this is what he says. So interesting. So what according to the Rashbam is going on over here? It should be like I'm wearing some sort of talisman. I'm like I'm wearing something which would remind me of this. More, he thinks this is actually metaphorical. That are the, uh, the, the twillin. But wait, wait a second. What about twillin? <laughs> Rashbam, do you not wear a twillin? Your brother's Rabbeinu Tam. <laughs> what, did Rash, what did Rashbam wear? Rabbeinu Tam or Rashi? Right? So like meaning, the Rashbam knew about this. So he says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going into that sugya. I'm just trying to understand it according to, according to the Pshutai. At this point in time, you can imagine, the Ibn Ezra is, 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 is at this point in time, the volcano is erupting. Look what the Ibn Ezra says. He says, uh, following in Source 9, on the same Pasuk, he says, Yesh cholkin There are those who disagree with our holy ancestors. She'omar they think it's some sort of talisman or, you know, or implement that you wear as a remembrance. He says, you know, it means that it means it should be in your mouth. It should be between your eyes. You should be thinking about it. That's the metaphor. This is this is not. This is simply not correct," says the Ibn Ezra. Kibitzchilas a sefer of Mishle Shlomo. At the beginning of Proverbs, what does Shlomo say? This is a book of Proverbs. <laughs> it's metaphors. Therefore, v'inei mashki mashi hiskir who derech marshal. So therefore, the pasuk which is quoted about all these you know implements and talismans of remembering Hashem, that is a metaphor. However, he says last time I checked, v'ein kosu b'Torah shu derech marshal chalila didn't say that at the beginning of the Torah, only said at the beginning of Proverbs. So don't tell me the Torah is the metaphor then, says the Ibn Ezra. Rakhu kamash the Torah must mean as it is. We cannot leave the Pshat, which is ironic, which is what the Rashvan thinks he's doing in this case. Okay? So he says, he says, and he clearly is he's relating to the Rashvan, or others in the Rashbam's camp, and he says it doesn't work. And again, why is the Ibn Ezra in such a, a, is so concerned over here? Because the methodology of the Ibn Ezra is, is that whenever there's a halacha, nothing else exists. There's nothing else which could exist. I have to circumscribe the logic and the mechanics of the pasuk to, under, to, to conform, conform to the drasha. When it comes to Agaratza, the Ibn Ezra is a little more liberal, if it's not a Masara, as an example, we saw that. But this is a fascinating example of the divergence of the Rashbam and the Ibn Ezra. It's interesting. If you think about this, which of these two Mahalchim of approaches are more threatening or more dangerous, so to speak? And the question you're meaning to say, the Ibn Ezra is more willing to, to go out on, his, on a limb when it comes to Agaratzah, but he really will disagree. Meaning to say, when he says that Yitzchak is 13 years old, he's not saying, Chazal mean this and I mean this. He says, I think this is correct. There's no way to equivocate and say, oh, age is, means something according to Chazal metaphysically, and age according to me is literal. He's saying, no, Chazal were if suggesting the age was 37. I am saying I'm suggesting the age is 13, and there's no way that those two can live together. Whereas the Rashbam, anything he says, would say, Chazal will always exist, and I will always exist, and the two may not sound like the same, but I will always defer to Chazal. That's as long as I can give the space and creativity 
for the space of shot. Do you see the difference over here in the, in the difference in the, in the two explanations? This, this idea, what the Rashbam has essentially done, he's carved out the space of Shuta, which is independent of Chazal, and he will still defer to Chazal and still say it is the Ikar, does allow the Rashbam a remarkable amount of creativity. Creativity which we never really see beforehand. In the sense that because now he is, he is looking at this in an isolated vacuum, he is now able to arrive at incredible um, out outcomes. I will say that today we live in the world, so to speak, of half of the Rashbam. Where people say, we want the creativity, we want to be able to do all the thought process ourselves, but we don't have the halakha hua ikar point with it. You know, so a lot of people sort of adopted half of the Rashbam and forgotten the rest of the Rashbam. But nonetheless, the, the, the Rashbam has the space for incredible amount of creativity. I'd like to give you, to, to, to suggest two ideas with the Rashbam. So something which really was here to for really never, never suggested, although, although there are hints to it. Here's an example. The Rashbam, we, this is actually related to yesterday. Rashbam, one of the one of the ideas of the Pshuto Shomikra is the idea of sequence. He believes that if the Torah is telling us that two events are in direct sequence, so for instance, that this matter um, B followed A, then it must be that B and A are interconnected. So here, here's, a, here's an example. Um, yesterday we learned that there was this whole episode of Avimelech and this business and this deal between Avimelech and uh, Avimelech Fichol and Avraham, and then What's next? Is the Akeda. So says the says the, uh, the, the, the Rashbam, source ten. The Torah, if it's going out of its out of its way, it must be telling us that the two ideas are connected. He creates it for intergenerational peace accord. Hashem got angry. He says, Sharei. In the end of the day, in the end of the day, the Plishtim are not one of the seven nations who came in the land of Israel. They are in fact a seafaring nation. They came from the area of Cyprus. They tried to attack all the coastal areas. We have fascinating documents from one of the pharaohs who was talking about reprising the coastal attack of the Philistines. So when they didn't succeed in, in entering the empire of Egypt, where did they land? Land in the Gaza region, which was less protected by the Canaanites. So the Philistines became a new, unindigenous people. Right, it's fascinating the name Palestine and Palestinian was given by the Romans to this area to a non, of a non-indigenous people, fascinatingly enough. Okay, I'm not going to get into that uh, anymore. But nonetheless, they are not one of the seven nations, but they are sitting on the wrong turf. Meaning to say, the land which was promised to Abraham was from coast to coast, right? From river to sea, it sounds like somebody's charter, right? Right, so that was the, that was the promised land, right, to Abraham before any other religions existed. Right, so um, at this point in time, we're, we're, they are sitting in the wrong territory. So Avram Avinu, how could you make a, a bilateral peace accord in an area... Which, the, which ultimately is supposed to be given to your great-grandchildren. I told you, you're getting it. So how could you do this? Hashem got angry. Hashem says, don't leave anybody alive if they're, if they're not willing to make peace. According to many. Therefore Hashem tested him. He gave him a, tra a, a, a challenge. He goes, he goes a few examples in the Pesukim. Where? The word nisayon is used as difficulty. Kolomar in the next line he says nisyagata beven shenosati lecha lichros bris benechem uvein benechem. 
you wanted to ensure the safety of your child, which I gave you, hey, you want to protect him? See if you even have him. That's what the Akedah is. A punishment. The Midrash, now he says, by the way, he quotes the Midrash Shmuel, which this, by the way, so what you see over here in the, in the sequence of events, the Rashbam suggested this independently. Then he says, by the way, I also found a Midrash. And he believes the Midrash now is supporting. His way. And the Midrash goes on to talk about that there's the, the seven months which the Aaron, which the Ark remained in the area of the Plishtim, remained there, was as a function of these Shiva Kavasos, these seven lambs, and the seven leaders of Israel who were conquered by the Plishtim was a function of these seven lambs. So there's a, a reverberating historical outcome of the fact that, um, that uh, Abraham Avinu made this covenant. Here we go. And he says, by the way, at the end of here, Nisa, take a look at the last line, he says, Contraria. He says it's, uh, it's the word of contrary or, or, or contradiction or, or difficulty, which, which is uh, being, being yielded over here. Fascinating. This is one example where the Ibn Ezra, sorry, the Rav Shpam, is, is willing to go out on a limb because he sees a connection of these events, events which is not explicitly addressed in Chazal, although he does find this Midrash Shmuel, um, which does support it. Another example. We're going to get to Parshas, um, Parshas Vayeshev, which is the way we saw the introduction, just a few, in just a few weeks. And here's what he says. We talk about the sale of Yosef. So we have this whole episode over here. The brothers put Yosef in the pit. They're going to sell him down. And what ends up happening? So we know, as Rashi tells us, as Chazal tells us, that, the, that um, ultimately the brothers decide they're going to make a, a, a good buck on, on Yosef. They sell him to, they take him out of the pit and they sell him to the Yishmaelim, to, the, to, to, the, um, to these Ishmaelites, to these Arab um, um, traders. What is interesting is the Rashbam says is that we've got to check our pronouns. Here we go in source 12. So the brothers are actually in the, in the side right now. If you can imagine the scene, the Rashbam does a lot of time. It talks about distance and sort of experience of the person in the experience itself. So you can imagine. They've left him in the pit. They're eating lunch on the side. Why they're not eating there? Because they don't want to eat while they hear their brothers screaming for help. And they saw on the, in, the distant, in the distance, they saw an Arab caravan coming across the dunes. They were willing to sell him to them. However, while this is happening, another group of tradesmen from Midian, which is actually really at this point in time to the northeast, are arriving. And why the, by the way, just of course, this is the Fertile Crescent, which means to say this is the highway of commerce between Egypt and the Mesopotamia Egypt, region. So you can ask why the Midianites are arriving from here. While they're eating lunch, who takes them out of the pit? The Midianites, who sell him to the Ishmaelites. Right, let's go back to the Pasuk for just a moment, just to appreciate the pronoun switch that he was doing over here. In the Pasuk it says, They pulled him out and sold him. Who is the pronoun they going on? Who is referring to? Usually, if you have a proper noun and a pronoun, the pronoun usually refers back to the last proper noun. The proper noun in this sentence was the Midianim. What is the way that Rashi interprets this? Is Who is the pronoun referring to? The previous verse, the brothers. They pulled him out. Says the Rashbam, the way I'm reading this, it was really the Midianites who pulled him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. Now, let's, let's think about the, uh, the, the ramifications of that statement. 
V'yesh Lomar says the, he says, Sha'achim lo yodzu, the brothers never knew about this at all. V'af ki shebekosu, shekosu v'yesh, asher mechartim osiyah mitzrayim. Even though later on Yosef accuses them of selling him, Yesh Lomar, she'agromas ma'aseyim siyata v'michirosa. What's he saying? He said, you, you left me vulnerable in the pit to be sold by anybody. That's what he's saying to them. You abandoned me to sale, essentially. Not that you actually pulled out your, uh, got, got a check for it. Again, that's the same cadence of what he says before, according to the depth of the pshat. Um, he says, It happened to be. There was no plan over here. This is what ended up happening. Even if you can say the brothers had a hand in it, it must have been they had a hand, and the Midianites were the hand itself. Okay, so this is the way the Rashbam says it. This answers so many questions. This answers why it is that Reuven comes back to the pit and he says, Whoa, where is he? According to the Rashbam, then the Reuven was the first person to discover that, be, that, he, that he was gone because the brothers didn't even sell him. Then it was a real tragedy over here. Right, which, which, which had happened. Were they intending to sell him? Maybe. Would they have? We don't know. Right, sliding doors of life. We don't really know. But, in the end of the day, it was the Ishmaelim. But they still bear, bear a level of responsibility. Why? Because they put him into such a situation. Fascinating. Here again is an example where the Rashbam says, I am prepared to read the Pesukim based on Shutoi itself, independent of anything else, just what's happening then. Two examples of the remarkable creativity. Now, let's learn about a few limitations. The Rashbam will not always say this. There will be times where he will essentially take his hat off and say, I'm not going to say anything. He has one example. The beginning of Parashas Tazria. This is his introduction. This is his micro-introduction to the Parasha of Tazria, source 13. He says, Adam ki, this, that's the post of Adam ki He's talking about leprosy, the spiritual disease. Source 14. Adam ki yabarbasarai, ko parashios nigei adam v'nigei begodim v'nigei botim. All the details of Tsaras, and they're locking up in the different way that affects the body or the, or the clothes or the houses. There is no Pshutai. There's, no, there's no space for the human mechanics of the mind. And we cannot figure out the historical experience that was happening at that time. He says, I'm going to now reverse. I'm not going to render anything. I'm not going to say, you know, Tsaras really means this, even though Chazal said that. He says, no, it is, it is a spiritual disease as defined by the Mesorah of Chazal, and therefore there is no space for anything to exist independently. And therefore he reverses in this passion. There's a number of examples where the Rashbam will do this. So just to, by the way, this is an example of where those who would like to use the Rashbam as their umbrella for anything they wanted to say, need to realize the Rashbam himself had limitations as to when he would say this because of his understanding of the spiritual nature of Tsaras, as an example. This is one of the examples of, of the Rashbam. The Rashbam is not out here in any, any circumstance. The last point I would like to just address today, because of course this, we could do this for hours and hours and hours, you can see why every case has its nuances, is a very fascinating story which actually occurred, and it was between the Rashbam and Ibn Ezra himself. So here's how it goes. The Rashbam says a, something which, if you just hear in a vacuum, you think is sacrilege, you would say, how could anybody say this? But now that we've had a little bit of an introduction to the Rashbam, we understand what he's trying to do. Beginning of creation, it says in Bereshis, it says, 
That um, at the end of the day, it was, there was evening, there was morning, it was one day. And the first Gemara in Brachos tells us uh, that what do we learn from this Pasuk? We see a very fascinating thing in halachic, in halachic history. That days in the Hebrew calendar always start with the night. That's why Meseches Brachos starts with Me'emosai, Korin es Shema, Ba'arvis. When is the Shema in the evening? And the Gemara uses this Pasuk as one of the examples of why it is that we see that Erev precedes Boker. <coughs> Fascinating, right? And that's how it is. Shabbos comes in at night, right? Our festivals always start in the evening. However, says the Rashbam, It doesn't say it was night and it was day. He says, The Erev literally means, what's the word Erev mean? Evening, right? Sheherev Yom Rishon Or. It was the, 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 the setting of the first day. Vayhi boiker in the morning. Boikro shalayla, the boiker of the end of that night. She'alu amura shachar. We're referring to which point in time is sunrise of the next day. Harei hushlam yom echad mina shisha yomim sh'omar ha-kodesh baruch hu ba-seres ha-dibroi. S'achakach yischil yom sheni. Says the Rashbam. When did the first day of creation end? Was it the sunrise of the next day? Okay? So now... That means to say the way he's counting the days is day-night as opposed to night-day. This is the way he understands it. Well, By the way, he did, there's a reference here which I'm not going to get in time here. He views a lot of the creation as a precursor to the Aseris Adibros, which is why the Rashbam understands that many of the details which are omitted from creation are omitted because they don't fall into the category of what Aseris Adibros is actually talking about. There's a fascinating perspective and pattern that he's talking about. Yeah, we're not going to get into that right now. But nonetheless, he's willing to say on the Pshutoi Shomikra, that over here, we're referring to them. what moment did Hashem say? is referring to when sunrise was on the beginning of day two, that was the end of the day. Now, that, if that was a halakhic comment, then the Rashbam would not be in any of Hashem, right? Then the, the Rashbam would no longer be in the, we'll call it, in, in, in the, in the, in the Tosos Academy. But the Rashbam was not saying this on a halakhic level. He was saying what the Pshuta Shomikra might mean in this case, knowing very well what the Gemara says on Brachos, Daf, Beis, and Aleph. He knows that very clearly. He's saying just on the realm of Shat, this might be what it's referring to as well, in addition, the multiple channels of, con- uh, of conveying this message. However, you obviously are, are aware of the fact that the Ibn Ezra cannot live in this kind of world, as we saw beforehand. The Ibn Ezra understands that if there's Halakha, everything has to fit into that realm of Halakha. There is no, there's no two channels. There's only one channel. So here's what, the, what happened. It's fascinating. The Ibn Ezra wrote what he calls the letter for, of Shabbos. He wrote a letter of Shabbos and is in direct response to this Rashbam. So here's how it goes. This is really fascinating to read this. I found a, uh, there was a translation. Somebody translated this online and I actually put the translation with it. But it's worth our reading because we're going to take a look at some of the details of this. Here's what he says. So even as it says, So he describes the year 4919 on the night of Shabbos. Okay, so um, he says, Ba'arbaas on the 14th of Tevis, Vani Abraham Asfardi, Evan Ezra, Ha'isa Bi'irachas, Me'are, Ha'echad, and Nikra Ksas Aretz. So he is, he is sleeping in this particular place on the edge of the earth, on a, it's, um, a city of an island, he calls it, um, where, he is, uh, um, um, where, where he's sleeping on Shabbos. Shul Bigvul Ashvi'i, Migvulos Aretz, on Hashabbos, is on the seventh boundary of the known world. Remember, he's in exile at this point. I was in the middle of a very deep and wonderful sleep. 
And there was an image of a man in my dream. And he had in his hand a sealed document. This is a letter from Shabbos to you, Ibn, Avram Ibn Ezra. Okay, what does that mean? And I was so thankful to receive this letter from Hashem, that I received this honor. And I grabbed it, I held onto it with my two hands. Pirush Kidvash Lamatoik was beautiful, sweet like honey explanation. As I continued to read it, it wasn't just poetry about Shabbos. I got very concerned. My heart started palpitating. And this is all in the dream, it seems. And I asked this figure in my dream who was standing above me, Ma Pishi Machatasi, what is my sin? That I receive this. From the day that I, I recognized our Creator. And I learned the commandments. I believe I've always loved Shabbos. And before it would come, I would go out and greet it with all my heart. And I would sing upon the leaving of Shabbos. I wasn't rushing out to the game. Right? Why was I sent this letter? But he's always, and now he says, by the way, here it is. And he places over here, it's two columns. It's a poem about Shabbos. And it's beautiful. Right, it's a beautiful description of Shabbos. And at the end, the part he's referring to is he says, uh, at the very end, the third last line, the third last line, he says, in your old age, a mistake has come to you because in your house books have arrived. And in it they are written to, uh, to, sacri- to, to, to break, the desecrate the Shabbos. And how are you not going to take action on the fact that you have been responsible for Chil Shabbos? Stephen so Ezra is terrified now. Why am I receiving this letter, he says. So, Vayan Vayomar, going on. By the way, the translation of all of this is on the next page. This whole poem, he says, Vayan Vayomar Eli, Sir HaShabos, Higayad Hugad La Esasher Review, Talmidecha, Esmol El Beschos, Forim Pirushea Torah. It says, Yesterday on Ere Shabbos, you received a book of an explanation of the Torah, Vasham Kosul Lachalalas Leil HaShabos, and it was to annul the Shabbos. Something arrived in your house yesterday which, will, which, which castigates the Torah itself and you need to take action. He wakes up in the middle of the night. And I, I'm so I'm distraught about this. And my anger was lit in me. I got into my clothes, I washed my hands, and I walked outside, there's no lights inside, and to the light of the moon, what date is it again? 14th of Teves, so it's full moon, right? Just kept putting everything in perspective. There's a full moon outside, he goes out with these books that he received, he hasn't had a chance to read them yet, right? Somebody says, you know, Rabbi Abraham, would you mind reading, I, I found these new books. He, says, he pulls them out, he's looking at them in the moon, you can imagine the middle of the street in, the, in, in, in Teves, it's probably cold now, it's probably the winter. 
He says, and it says, "Vinei sham kosel pirush vayir vayvoker kasher ayaboker yom sheni az ola yom echad sholem ki alay lahaylech achar yom." Who right? And he says, "It's the words of pirush shay." Who's he referring to? The Rashbam, somebody brought, you, brought him a manuscript to the Rashbam, who says that, in fact, the day was finished in the morning of the second day. He says, I almost tore my own clothes and ripped up the manuscript, says the, 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 the Ibn Ezra. He says, He says, because I thought that, may, you know, I could even rip it up so that in... in the, f- the future, nobody would ever see this to be Machal al Shabbos and say, you know what, Shabbos really begins on Shabbos morning. The Imiru Zah Pirush arrive, they see this terrible explanation. We'll look like, we'll look like falsehood in the, in the eyes of those who are not Jewish. The way someone just told me, I have a Kharusa, and he's, he's working in a law firm. He said there was a fellow who, who was Jewish who said that he needed the Shabbos times, and then he was Chazer Bishaela, he was not, no longer keeping on the straight and narrow, and he was taking advantage of the business letting him out on a, on a Shabbos Friday night in order to take advantage. So anybody who came to the law firm afterwards, we had a real, really hard time saying that we really do keep Shabbos. We need to leave on a Friday afternoon at whatever is two, whatever train we need to catch in order to be able to be back in time. So he says, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to say, they're going to read the Rashbam, they're going to say, wait a second, in our law firm we follow the Rashbam. <laughs> Right? You'll come in till you'll come in. You can work all night till midnight after all. He says, right? He says, it says, He says, Therefore, I'm going to write a letter after Shabbos is finished to explain when the days begin in the Torah. And that's what he goes on to say. And therefore, the Ibn Ezra is responding directly to the Rashbam. Once again, the reason why the Ibn Ezra says this is because as the Ibn Ezra says in his introduction, which we learned last week, is when it comes to halacha, there is no space for any conversation. What Chazal tell us is what Chazal tell us. There is only space when it comes to Agarita, when it comes to the idea of narrative and interpretation there. And within that space, it's only if we know that it is not a Mesorah, says the, says the Ibn Ezra. He cannot live with a two-channel reality. The Rashbam, ironically, who interestingly enough, is more of a Talmudist than the Ibn Ezra himself. Ibn Ezra is not a writer on the Talmud as the Rashbam is. The Rashbam is clearly on the every daf. At the same time, he's able to live with a bifurcated reality where he's able to understand that there's multiple tiers of meaning, even the Pshat existing in its own realm, even if it sounds different to the Halacha or the Chazal, because we can exist with two, two different channels. I hope this is something which is clarifies when we read these forum, the proper perspective and respect. I'd like to end with one last story, which is fascinating. This is actually a real story because we just passed Kristallnacht. And that is, is the, last, the last note over here on page 10. It, says, it talks about how when the brothers of Yosef come back to Mitzrayim, it says, They speak to this, this courtier at the entrance of the house. The Rashbam says, Why does the Torah tell us to need to tell us that they had this conversation at the entrance? He says, because they, before they entered, there was a, a, uh, a city in Germany um, by the name of Darmstadt, which was, um, it didn't have its own school. And what happened is, is that um, ironically in, 19, in the 1930s, um, when the Germans demanded that Jews had separate education, then they made a Jewish school there. But before, and there wasn't enough of a community to, to warrant a school, so there was a Malamed who had come to the public school. His name was Eliezer Varhaftig. 
and he would he would teach the 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 the, the children Torah. And he came across this 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 this, this pasuk, and he said to the to, to the Talmidim, he says, "Why is the Rashbam is telling us this?" He says, "The Rashbam is telling us that because the brothers at this point in time were terrified. There's something strange going on. They've been identified. Their money's coming back. They don't know what's going on. So what do they do? Before they get into the building, they say, "Let's talk here, right? They're not going to walk into any traps." So one of the Talmidim, who was actually in this class, comes 1938, November 9th, 1938, and thousands of shuls and homes are being destroyed and, uh, um, on the night of, of Kristallnacht. And this young, one of the boys was a Talmud in Germany, in this particular t- s- s- town of Darmstadt, was walking along, and a baker who he knew when he was growing up said, said to him, oh, oh, please come with me in a very kind voice, and he was going to follow this baker, the baker steps up three steps into the bakery and he sees in the bakery that three of the, this is at night time, three of the bakers are there in their uniform and he says, what do you want from me? And the man grabs him by the raincoat and he runs out. He remembers this Rashbam. The Rashbam says that when, when you don't know what's going on inside, you have the conversation by the entrance. He was able to escape with his life that night of Kristallnacht. And this young man always attributes it to this when he was a little kind, when he was a little child, learning this Rashbam, thinking about the Rashbam. Where did the Rashbam get this from? Just looking at the Pshuta Shalmitra. He's not going anywhere else. He's not trying to do anything else. I hope this has given us a little bit of a perspective that the next time we open up the Ibn Ezra and the Rashbam to see what they're doing, what they're not doing, and hopefully it should give us a greater and more deep appreciation of Ariados.